Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, uh, there is a well-known HMO uh, that's actually headquartered right here in the Bay Area. And um, I don't know if I should mention it by name, but um, its initials are Kaiser Permanente. (laughs) And they have an ad campaign. Actually, it's not just an ad campaign. It's kind of their whole... Um, mission statement, if you will, and it all centers on one word, thrive. And and I've I've been thinking about that this week as I was preparing this message because I think it goes to exactly what we're talking about in this series of soul keeping uh, for this Lent season uh, for the last number of weeks and leading right up to Easter. We've been looking through this uh, kind of based on the book by John Ortberg by the same title, Soul Keeping, of, of how do you nurture, how does your soul thrive. Um, and I believe, I believe that the soul thrives on grace. And, and that's why it's been one of our, our core values from the very, very beginning. We have, we have always said that we will be a grace-filled community. But here's the deal with that. You can't be a grace-filled community unless each and every one of us are growing in grace, as the apostle Peter put it, that we are all growing in grace together. And I believe this, is, this series and, and this topic particularly is important not just for your own soul to thrive, but for us as a church to thrive. And it is all based on the grace of God. It is vital to every one of us, and it is vital to all of us together as a church. And Jesus said the key to this thriving in grace life, he described it for us in John chapter 15. If you want to turn there, um, let me read to you the words of Jesus. By the way, this happened, let me set this up a little bit for you. Um, This teaching happened between the upper room last supper and the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went to pray and was arrested um, and brought before uh, the the Sanhedrin, okay? So this is all happens. This little talk that he gives happens. It's like his, his final instructions. And this is where he starts with this idea. I am the vine. John 15, 1, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. That idea of remaining, I think, is the heart of the message of grace. Um, A number of years ago, a a theologian by the name of Emil Bruner and and a psychologist, actually, Frank Lake, um, together um, did some study on, on the life and ministry of Jesus and just kind of watching the pattern of his life. Um, because he was one who totally lived that life of grace in every respect. And, and they came up with something that they called the cycle of grace. 
how that cycle of grace works in each of our lives. And, and all too often when we think of grace, I think we, we tend to think about forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. But grace is about much more than forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. Grace is what feeds the soul. Grace is what nourishes the soul. Grace and thriving and growing in grace is what we are all about. And so in this cycle of grace, they identified um, different stages, four different stages in all of it. The first is that stage of acceptance. And that's where he starts. Acceptance is discovering our God-given identity. That in our identity, it comes out of God's grace to us. And that's where Jesus starts this whole talk when he's talking to them. He starts with who they are. Very first thing, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. In other words, your identity is now found in me. And in that relationship, your identity will be formed. And that sense of identity is so important. Bruner and I call this the stage of acceptance. Now, acceptance doesn't sound like a very strong word. Because, I mean, when we use the word acceptance or acceptable, it's like, well... Yeah, it'll do, you know. Or, or if you've been accepted to a university, you had to maintain a certain GPA. You had to score um, at a certain height on your, or your SATs and your ACTs. And it was, when we think of acceptance, we think of this idea of, of condition and, um, and earning and, and trying to make it, make the grade, if you will. But that's not God's word for acceptance. God's word for acceptance is the word love. And, and, and our identity starts there. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, before, he's, before he told a single parable, before he preached a single sermon, before he performed one miracle, he went out to John the Baptist to be baptized. And in the account in Luke's gospel, after he was baptized, as he came out of the water, he said, this is what happened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, identity, whom I love. With you I am well pleased, acceptance. See, that idea of acceptance and identity, long before he did anything, and that's the grace of God. God's grace comes to us not because we earned it or deserve it. It doesn't come to us on a probationary period to see if we're going to live up to it. It comes to us freely as his gift, And I think the father gave those words of affirmation to Jesus, knowing that throughout the next three years of his life and ministry, he was going to face opposition. He was going to face rejection. Um, He was going to have some people who loved him and some people who hated him. And he had to be secure in his identity and know who he was and what he was about. And so long before any of this happened, this is the word that the father gives to him and to those around him. And you see throughout Jesus' ministry, his assurance about who he was gave him the strength to be able to stand up to the, to the, um, to the Pharisees and any of the teachers of the law. I know who I am, he would say. In fact, when he washed the disciples' feet, it said, Jesus, knowing who he was, put on a towel, got down, and served his disciples. Our identity starts with our acceptance in God's grace. If you look at the disciples that Jesus called, they were not the brightest and best. You know, typically, um, if you're looking for followers who are going to perpetuate your teachings and carry on your ministry after you, you're going to look for the best, best you can find. But if you look at the disciples that Jesus told, they were not the sharpest tools in the shed. 
And, and you look at them and they're, they're jockeying for position. Um, they're fighting among themselves from time to time. Um, they're asking stupid questions. They're giving stupid answers. Um, but Jesus accepted them just the way that they are. That's grace. And then at the very end of his ministry, he gives them these words. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's acceptance. So now remain in my love. Find your identity there. Because here's the thing. To be known and accepted by God is to be known and accepted by the one who knows you the best. He knows you the best. All of those secrets that you keep hidden from everybody else, God knows. You can't hide any of those things. And, and that's the key. That, that he accepts you just the way you are with all of those secrets. That is his grace in action. I love the way Dallas Willard put it. Uh, he put it this way. God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth. Have you ever, you ever felt that way? Like, oh, I know I'm supposed to love them. I don't like them very much. He said, that's not how God loves God does not love us without likeness through gritted teeth as Christian love is sometimes thought to do. That's not how God loves us. In his grace, he loves us fully as we are. And that first stage in the cycle of grace is that stage of acceptance. That's what they, uh, um, uh, uh, Bruner and Lake uh, called it. And I'll give you a graphic to help you kind of see what that looks like. It starts with acceptance, which is where we find our identity. But that's just the first part of God's work in our life. From there, it moves into the second stage, which is sustenance. And sustenance, that's God's grace. It's all about maturity. See, it is the sustaining grace of God that nourishes and replenishes our soul, that, that, that causes us to grow in him to maturity. That sustaining grace feeds and replenishes. And in the same way that your body needs food and clothing and shelter, so your soul needs the sustaining grace of God. And that grace is at work in you and I all the time. And without it, without it, our soul will shrivel up, shrivel up and die. And that's what Jesus said. He said, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Now, that's not making condemnation. He's just saying, this is a simple truth. You are meant to live in me and stay in connected and remain in me. And if you don't, you're just withering away. Your soul will shrivel up and die. And there are some warning signs. There are some warning signs to know about your soul and the condition of your soul in this regard. Because a depleted soul is one that is in the process of kind of shriveling up. And a depleted soul, there are certain symptoms to a depleted soul. One of the symptoms of a depleted soul is a lack of compassion. That, that somebody is in need, but you don't really care about their need. Somebody asks for help, but you make excuses because you don't really want to get involved. That is a symptom of a depleted soul. Another one is that you are more easily irritated and frustrated about things that really shouldn't bother you that much. That ever happened to you? You know why that is? We were talking about this in my community group this last week. How um, after what, when you, when you find yourself getting so frustrated and irritated and easily angered at things, one of the best things you can do is step back and say, why am I reacting this way? Because your emotions are a pretty good indicator of what's going on under the hood, what's going on in the depth of your soul. And when you find those things happening, it means your soul needs some attention. A depleted soul 
is more susceptible to sin. Because you find yourself with sin much more attractive. And there's this feeling like you will sacrifice your values and your long-term gain for the sake of instant gratification. I just want to feel better now. And I'll do whatever it takes. That is the sign of a depleted soul. Now, in sustaining grace, what sustaining grace is all about is that I am aware of God's presence in my life at every moment. That's his sustaining grace. That that is, I am aware of the state of my soul and at the same time aware of God's presence to help me in every situation. This is the life that Jesus modeled. David, David is a good example of this. If you you look at David, who wrote most of our Psalms, um, and you look at his life, um, he did not live a perfect life. He was described as a man after God's own heart. God himself said that about David. But David was not perfect, and David had his moments. He had some real doozies, I'll tell you. But the one thing that made his heart for God and God's heart for him was this realization of the condition of his soul and his need for God at every moment. And that's what you find throughout the scripture, how he cries out from his soul. He lifts up his soul. Here's one of them. Psalm 143. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk for to you to walk, for to you I lift up my soul. See, that's that's the, that's David aware of the condition of his soul and recognizing he needs God in the middle of all of that. And that's the life that Jesus modeled, and that's the life that you and I can enter into every day. If you look at the life of Jesus, look at some of the things that he did to nourish his soul. He he gave time for prayer, just spending time with the Father. He, He met together in synagogue, in worship. He had a close circle of friends, a small group of his own, his disciples. He, he had table fellowship and ate together with them and, and even those who weren't his followers. He made time for solitude where he would just draw back. He gave himself to reading and studying and meditating on scripture. He actually, it says in a number of places, that he drew back for just a time of rest. Rest is good for your soul. Let me ask you, are you getting enough rest? Are you getting enough sleep? Isn't sleep wonderful? I love sleep. Do you love, don't you love sleep? Yeah, I, I mean, I know some of you do because you're doing it right now. <laughs> that sense of calm and peace that God is with me at any moment. And we can engage in those practices that will nourish our soul. God is right there for us. But we need to engage with him. And some of, most of the spiritual disciplines that we take on are not because good Christians do these things. Read your Bible, pray, you know, all this. No, you do it out of a sense of replenishment. And find those things that replenish you. And give yourself to them. I shared at the beginning of this whole series because we started at the beginning of Lent. And Lent is not something that I have observed in the formal sense Um, ever in my life, not in the traditional sense. But if you're not familiar with it, Lent is a season in which you sacrifice or you surrender or you give up something, you fast on something. And it shouldn't be something trivial. It should be something that, that is actually getting in the way of your relationship with God. To know that you can go 40 days as Jesus did without that. And, and it's taking on a fast. 
And, and for the first time ever in my life, I decided, you know, I'm going to do that. And I chose something and I said, okay, I am going to fast from this one thing because I think this is getting in the way of my relationship with God. And I didn't tell anybody what it was. In fact, I, after that Sunday, I came home and he says, so what are you fasting? I said, I'm not telling you. It was between me and God. This is just between me and God. But here's what I have found about halfway through Lent now. When you fast from something, when you give up something, what I began to realize is how often I would go to that place or do that thing. How, how, how much it had become almost ingrained in me. A practice that I hadn't even paid that much attention to. But it was, it was hurting my relationship with God. The other thing that I found is um, that I would actually set myself up. I would put myself in certain situations or certain positions or certain circumstances which were playing with fire, just setting myself up to fail. But by fasting from that, I began to realize, you know, these are the triggers. These are the things where I, I this is where I, that's the path I start to go down. If I'm going to fast from this, I can't even go down that path. I got to stop it right here. The other thing that I've realized is I can't do this in my own strength. Because this is a pattern or a habit that I have got so ingrained in me, I just do this naturally without even thinking about it. God, I need you to help me through this fast. That is sustaining grace. Find that thing that replenishes your soul. Find that, that discipline that deepens your relationship with God. It should replenish your soul and it should result in joy. That's what Jesus said. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, fulfilled. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And I've told you these things, not to give you a burden, but that your joy, that you would have my joy. So what is it that will replenish you and, and keep you in better connection with God? Take that on and realize you're not going to do it in your own strength. But Jesus is here to help you. And you may not be particularly excited about doing it in the moment, but does it bring joy when you've completed it? That's one of the good measurements. So back to this, this cycle of grace. So acceptance brings to that sustenance, which is all about um, our spiritual maturity, our growing in grace. But the next step in the cycle of grace goes to significance. And significance is all about a life with meaning. See, the grace of significance that God gives us gives our lives a sense of meaning, gives our soul a sense of meaning. And what it really is all about is that best version of you. You ever heard the, the, the saying, I've heard it around a lot of times, I've even said it myself, God loves you just the way that you are, but loves you too much to let you stay that way, okay? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about this grace of significance, that God sees a better version of you than you even see in yourself. And it's that better version of you, that, that version of you that he designed and that he wants for you. That's the thing that he's bringing about in your life. And it comes to us again as a gift of his grace. It's about growing in that God-given identity. Nurturing your soul in such a way that you begin to discover your uniqueness, your giftings, your abilities, your resources, so that you can bring them out to others. See, this is the thing with the cycle of grace. In the cycle of grace, being always precedes doing. And being is about acceptance and sustenance. 
Significance is when you begin to move out into giving it. That my relationship with God now begins to move through me into my relationships with other people. And you find this throughout the Bible. That God would see in somebody something they didn't see in themselves. And call them to that better sense of who they are. And often when he did this, he would change their name. So Abram, God calls to follow him and to trust him. And Abraham follows God and trusts him. And God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. But he didn't even have any children. But God saw in him what he couldn't see in himself. He says, I will make you a father of many nations. Jacob, whose name meant conniver, okay, that he spends the night wrestling with God. And God gets him in this hole that he cannot get away. And actually... Um, dislocates his hip, and, and, and he kind of just gives up. And in that moment, he surrenders to God, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means one who wrestles with God. Changed his name. Changed his identity. Saw in Jacob, the conniver, something that he could put to use. Jesus calls Simon as one of his disciples. And he changes his name from Simon to Peter. Peter's, Peter means rock. And if you know anything about the life, and, uh, the life of, of Peter before his ministry, he was anything but a rock. Yeah, he was just up and down and up and down all over the place. But Jesus saw in him something that he didn't even see in himself. And he called it out of him. Saul, who was persecuting the church, finally surrenders to God. And he changes his name to Paul. See, that's significance. That's the, significant, the grace of significance, that God gives us a better version of ourselves. He doesn't make us somebody else. He just makes a better version of who we are. And then that begins to flow out into other people. And then our lives become significant. They have meaning. By the way, the root of the word significance is the word sign, that our lives are meant to be a sign. Now, a sign does not call attention to itself. A sign's purpose is to point people to somewhere else. Our lives are meant to be significant in that they are meant to be a sign of God's work in our life. This is what Jesus says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, not your glory, not your significance, but my Father's glory who gives you significance. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be good people. No, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, that is the work of grace in our lives that begins to flow into us and change us, but then flow out of us into others. And what happens is my whole life becomes an expression of God's grace to the people around me. That, that the grace that I have received from God, now I, I, I live that out in front of other people. And again, it is not something you can do on your own. It comes as a gift of God. It is his grace. And it, and it hinges on our remaining in him because our relationship with him is one of grace. But then as it's lived out with others, it is also an extension now of his grace to them. And in, and in this, this grace of significance, what happens is every moment of my life is meaningful. It all matters. And, and every single um, situation that I'm in 
has significance to it. And every relationship that I am in is meant to be redemptive. It's another one of our core values that we live with redemptive relationships. Because we have this grace within us that we can impart to other people. And it flows out of our life with God. Remaining in him. Receiving his grace. Showing it to other people. And it happens as you learn to entrust your soul to him. Again, one of the Psalms. David says, it's one of the, actually one of the most well-known, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That is his grace at work in each of us. So, back to this cycle. Starts with acceptance, where we get our identity, to a sustaining grace that brings about spiritual maturity, to a life of significance in which uh, we get meaning. And then, then out of that flows achievement. That's where it works itself out in our works. And that's all about living lives of fruitfulness. That too, by the way, is the gift of God's grace. It is God's grace flowing in us through that acceptance and sustenance and significance and then flowing out to others intentionally. And that's the key word, intentionality. Because now that I am aware of those gifts and those resources and those um, abilities that God has given to me, now I take those things and I actually begin to put them to use for other people. It is still God doing the work, but now he is doing it through you and through me. And that's why when we talk about uh, becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus, it's not just about church attendance. And it's not just about learning Bible verses and having a good quiet time. It is about finding that place of significance and then ministering out of that to other people. That's what Jesus did. It's a life of serving and a life of ministry. Intentionality. God is working, but he's working through us. This is how Jesus put it. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Our soul's longing is for a fruitful life, a meaningful life. You will not find that without being connected into the vine. Without him, you can do nothing. In fact, he goes on, he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It will flow out of your life as you grow in this cycle of grace. But remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's this. It's knowing my gifts and my abilities and my resources. And then knowing those things that God has entrusted into my care by a work of his grace, then praying and looking for opportunity to use them. And then recognizing the opportunities when they come up. And then you act. And then You do something for the kingdom of God. That's the achievement you're looking for. One of our members of our greeting team, uh, actually last Sunday, we were standing out front and it was kind of a break between people coming and going. And we're chatting. He says, I've got to tell you the story through this whole series about um, finding all these things and living on on the soul level and all these things. He says, I've got to tell you, I got up one day this week and I just prayed, God, um, would you please use me to help somebody or bless somebody today? He said, that was just my prayer. I didn't pray anything else. Just that day, I got up that morning, and I just said, God, would you give me opportunity to bless somebody or to help somebody today? And, and he got dressed, took a shower, got dressed, started off to work, had to stop by the bank. And as he is walking into the bank, he, there's a lady on her cell phone. 
but she is actually crying into the cell phone because there's something wrong with her car. And, and she's crying into the cell phone, I don't have any money, and I don't have AAA to get it towed. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he stops halfway to the door of the bank, backs up, he says, I don't mean to intrude, but I overheard what you were saying, and, and I think I could be a help to you. What's the problem? And she tells him, he says, you know, I can help you with that. And he got down, worked on it, got her car running again. And she said, you know, I was just sitting there and I was just praying that God would send me an angel. Now, had he not prayed that prayer that morning, and had he not been looking for the opportunity that he prayed for, and then actually stopping and acting, he would have missed out on the very thing that God had for him that day. Just one of the things God had for him that day. See, that is the way we were meant to live. That is living on the soul level. Now, there's another cycle that goes absolutely in the opposite direction of the cycle of grace. It's called the cycle of works or the cycle of performance. And performance looks exactly counter to the cycle of grace. And by the way, performance is the cycle that most of us live on. Even though we've been saved by grace, we still work on this performance cycle because what it starts with is with achievement. And we try to do a lot of good things. We try to um, accomplish a lot of good things and, and, and do a lot of good things in, in the hopes that we will, from that, gain some significance, that people will recognize us for the good things that we're doing, that God would recognize us for the good things that we are doing. And we're hoping that that significance will be the thing that will sustain us so that we could find acceptance. And it's completely the opposite of the cycle of grace. But this is where most of us live. Because the problem with all of that is you never know if you've done enough. You never know really where you stand. Am I good enough? Would I work hard enough? See, that, that whole performance cycle, it just keeps going around and around because you never really know if you're accepted. So you got to do more to find more significance to sustain you in hopes that you'll get more. And it doesn't work that way. The cycle of grace is exactly the opposite. It starts with being. Your identity in him, accepted by him, which will sustain your life if you will pay attention to it, which will give you that sense of significance, pointing people in his direction. And then out of that, you can work and achieve the things that God designed you to achieve. In the cycle of grace, I know where I stand, I know where I belong. I know what nurtures my soul, and I live out of that to serve him in his kingdom in this world. Fulfilling the call that God has on your life and mine. This is the way Jesus said it. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's the acceptance. And appointed you. Appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. And the achievement part is this the fruit that will last. Living on the soul level will bring about a fruitful life, not only for you, but for all of us together as a church. Would you bow your heads with me? So again today, let me just ask you, how's your soul? How's it been going this last week? Do you find yourself still on the performance treadmill? Because that's what it is. 
It never comes to an end. Do you find yourself today longing for acceptance, hoping for significance, trying to earn God's love? And you keep failing at it. And you keep wondering, is this good enough? You are not intended to live that way. Your soul will not survive that way. So today, let me invite you into the cycle of grace. And maybe you made a decision a long, long time ago to put your trust in him and, and receive that forgiveness of sin. But, but really, honestly, you're still living on the performance treadmill. And you need to learn to accept each aspect of your life on that soul level as a gift of his grace to you. And maybe you're here trying to earn God's love and acceptance. Maybe you're here to try to find some sense of significance, trying to achieve something. And it's just wearing you down. If you find yourself in that kind of a situation today, I'm going to invite you to step into grace. Surrender that thing that's got you hung up. Just remain in Him. And let Him make those changes from the inside out. And you will not do this on your own. This will be a work of God in your life. So you are going to need people praying for you. And I would love to do that today. If you find yourself in that situation and in need of prayer, in need of God's direction for your life and getting out of that performance cycle and into the cycle of grace, would you just raise your hand, hold it up, and as you do, catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and let you know I see you and I'm praying with you and for you. Yeah, 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 yes. Maybe you're here and you haven't taken the first step of faith. In fact, that's what brought you here today. You've been on this performance treadmill and you don't know, don't know where you stand with God. He is here accepting you and loving you. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came and modeled that life, but then he gave his life in sacrifice so that we could know that forgiveness, know that acceptance. And today, maybe it's a first step of faith. And it's just saying, simply saying to him, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I am tired of trying to do this on my own. Would you love me? Would you let your mercy and your grace flow over me? Take me just to the way that I am and make me into the best version that you have of me. And today it's a first step of faith. Same thing, would you just raise your hand and let me know so I can lead you in a closing prayer and, and, and help you get started in this new life of grace. Yeah, gotcha, yes, yeah. So whether it's a first-time decision or a renewed decision or a particular area of your life, really the prayer is always the same. It is this, God, here I am with all of my faults, with all of my struggles, with those things in my life that I'm not happy about and I try to keep hidden from other people, but you know me best and I cannot change myself. I need your grace accepting me, sustaining me, giving that sense of meaning and significance to my life so that I might do the work that you've called me to. And today, I take a step of faith and trust in you. For some of us, that's a first-time step. For others, it's just this particular area that I'm struggling with. But in everyone, God, we need your grace. So we lift ourselves up to you. We lift our souls up to you and place them in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.